Pop Culture Pastor. All right, Cody. How you doing? I'm alive. <laughs> Barely. Yeah. Uh, we decided to record early this morning. So this is our early morning. I, we've never done this before, but I have an energy drink. I have my Mountain Dew. Yeah. And this so, might be the witching hour. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, so in like scary movies and stuff, it's like 3 a.m. Like that's supposed to be the devil's hour. But but not midnight. Not No. And also like the witching hour on the NFL Red Zone channel. Like that's when all the action's happening. And so uh, Hanson's like, we're in the witching hour, and that's like the most exciting hour. Oh, okay. So, I am not double a, dipping now. <laughs> I am not aware of that. I consider just, yourself educated. Yeah, yeah, I just remember my grandma telling me nothing good ever happened after midnight. Amen. Grandma to that. was right. Yeah. So, Amen to that. But that's not the witching hour, or so you're telling me. I don't think it is. I've been wrong before. Okay. Well, um, this is Pop Culture Pastor. My name is Dave. Cody's here. I am. And uh, DJ's here. Random voice. Yeah. So DJ Dangerfield, who, like, if you've listened to the pod for a while, you know that this pod is going to end up in a particular place in three hours. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we are, we're going to talk about a documentary. It's a What's Up Doc episode. But first, I wanted to, I wanted to get your guys' opinion on um, some news. Okay. Uh, Gina Carano. I'm familiar with Gina. uh, She was on The Mandalorian. Do you remember her character's name? Uh, Nope. She's a former, like, uh, UFC fighter, right? Kind of. Like, honestly, the best thing she probably did was the reboot of American Gladiators. She was one of the Gladiators. There was a reboot, huh? I didn't know that. Yeah, Hogan had launched it, or was the host voice for it. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Okay, you're welcome. Well, she's a, yeah, she's a muscular uh, lady, um, but she was a character in like the first season of Mandalorian. Then uh, she got let go after it was right during the whole COVID thing, and so there were people were, who were letting political opinions fly on social media, and she was one of them. And Disney said, "You're out," which is it's interesting. It is. Uh, because she had a particular political point of view that's not shared by, you're assuming, Disney. Although I assume it might be shared by some higher-ups. <laughs> yes, that's probably maybe a good, uh, a good assumption. Anyway, she's attempting... Uh, uh, y'all, okay, so you lost me. Okay, so Gina Carano. You, okay, I know, who she, but I'm just trying to understand the code language there. So, so oh, yeah. I think a lot of wealthy individuals and business people, they project that they lean left, but oh. they really vote right. And so gotcha. that's, I think yeah. that, especially Bob Iger, I'm just going to say his name. <laughs> um, I, wow. I think Bob Iger probably... Uh, Really didn't have anything wrong with what she said besides that it might subtract viewers. And that would be the issue is viewership. And so do you remember what she said? Because I'm I don't remember. I remember thinking, well, like, like, so obviously you don't agree with her because you're saying you're you're sort of implying that um, you have feelings about it. I don't have you don't strong have feelings. feelings. OK, so. Uh, the issue I have really is just that 
Disney doesn't censor every opinion. Yeah, okay. So if you censor one opinion, and I think you should censor all of them. Yes. But if you're going to be like, oh, free for all, then allow it to go even down kind of a conspiracy hole. Or I feel like she might have compared it something to the Holocaust. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember. Because it was that time period where there was a lot of like the COVID precautions are like the Holocaust. And I'm like, well, no, we're not there. Yeah. But we understand that like, okay, while I agree that that's ridiculous. Also, everybody on social media compares everything to the Holocaust. Yeah. Or Hitler. Yeah. Because our terrible, terrible lives. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, the humanity yeah. is so awful. Like it, I, that, that is probably the, probably the thing that I chuckle about the most. It's like, Stop saying Harriet Tubman's name. I mean, you know, just, yeah. yes, right. just <laughs> stop. <laughs> uh, you know, I was watching Netflix and I was thinking, that's you just got to stop right there. It's you're you're not the same, right? You're just not the same. Yeah, we do we do have a problem with that. Um, uh, uh, well, but this is not the place for this discussion because my 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 next question was going to be, why do we do this? What are we doing? <laughs> why do we why do we have to try and make our pretty good lives? Um, seem really, really bad. It's and the thing that is most interesting is everybody feels that way. It's not like just one people group. It's everybody feels like their people are the most mistreated of all time. Like they, it's really and and the and the honest thing is, there's a lot of epic things that have happened that are actually really good. When you start looking at world hunger and how many people, how that number has dramatically decreased, and you look at that like. Uh, like real strong, like the most worst type of violence has actually decreased. Like when you look at the statistics mm-hmm. and the categories, everything has decreased. All the major things that we talk about. Smoking? There's a, yes, there's a major, <laughs> major, unbelievable. When you, look at the, when you look at the graph for world hunger, we should be applauding and going, wow. But everybody in every people group feels like it's the worst time for their people group. It does it does not matter which people group you pick. It does not matter. Mm-hmm. It does not matter which segment you pick. It is the worst time of their life even though when you look at statistically and categorically it's just not there's no data to substantiate what we're fighting about. I did find the quote. Do we just love being the victim? Then we'll get to the quote. You think we just we're just hooked on being victims? I think we're trapped in this confirmation biases echo chamber that we have called social media mm-hmm. and we really so there's a good book oh i don't know if i because I, I don't i guess it doesn't matter but it's not necessarily a christian book but there's a good book that says don't believe everything you think mm. and don't you don't have to buy the book but the premise of the idea we literally not only do we believe everything we think everything we look at confirms what we think oh yeah yeah and so it's like once you think something, and then data doesn't matter. No. It's like, we literally watched it during COVID. We literally watched people talk about COVID on both sides. Yeah. And the data came out and said, you know, it's almost next to impossible to get COVID outside. Yeah. I'm not making that up. I'm not some right winger. Right. No, no. But, was, but, there was lots of but things. But they literally yeah. had Lollapalooza and two people got it. There was like 900,000 people there. <laughs> Okay, and they're like, it's very difficult. But California's like, no, we can't eat outside. We're just not going to do it. We just don't. We don't like the. We don't like the message that it sends. We don't like. It's like the data 
literally says you have to work to get COVID outside. Yeah. And so that's where we're at. That's that's exactly where we're at, where data no longer matters. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about confirmation bias a little more, I think, as we get into the documentary we picked. But, Cody, Cody, tell us the quote that Gina Carano uh, put on social media. So my vague, fuzzy memory partially got this. Most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jewish people, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? She posed that question Yeah, on that's Twitter. It. That's pretty, I mean, for the things that you see on social media, that's pretty tame, uh, pretty tame but... She's a celebrity or was a celebrity on a high profile show. I will say um, the thought process of what she's first, the first thing she's espousing is actually a thing. Um, you go to the Holocaust Museum, they'll have the whole wing of the conditions that were present to be able to um, facilitate what happened next, right? The, why people didn't say much because they were conditioned. There was a condition going on and um, this idea that Jews were less than. They were they were subhuman to a lot of people, and and she's referencing that. However, the second part where she's likening it to political people arguing with each other, um, I, yeah, I don't know that that's something we should it, be it's, doing. It's really weird because when you look at let's just use the car as our example. Um, you used to put your baby in the back window. That's a real thing. Yeah, you put your oh, baby yeah. in the back window of your station wagon. And then we were like, okay, that's probably not good. We got that. We looked at the data. It's not good. Then they came up with seatbelts. Then they came up with airbags. And they just keep coming up with things to make this thing more safe. So that, that all the distractions that they put in the car won't kill you, right? You are, and then they, the passenger's safer. Everything's safer. And they got all these restrictions. Okay, you probably, you know, they would take a car. This is the truth. They would take a a tore up car that caused a wreck and put it in a parade and make the person who caused the wreck ride in a, in a, in a, on a float with this tore up car. And it's like, Johnny killed two people last summer and he'd have his head down and everybody would just like boo and jeer. him. that's a real thing. Wow. And they start going, okay, this is probably not going to fix the problem. And so now that all the fixing of the problems have become political, Every problem we try to fix, you either got to be left in regards to it, you got to be right in regards to it. We can't fix any problems. Mm -hmm. And so anytime you go about anything, the other side doubles down on the Constitution and says, if you do this, it would be so much easier for the government to do whatever. Yeah. And if we did that with seatbelt restraints, and for whatever reason, we do that with helmets on a motorcycle, mm -hmm. it became political. And once it becomes political, you can't talk about data. You can't talk about what's safe. Because yeah. once they take my helmet from me, what else are they going to do to me? And once that becomes the narrative, you can't no longer look at what is, what is, what is happening mm -hmm. and how do we help this from not happening. So yeah. whether it be school yeah. shootings all the way down to motorcycle. We literally, it's a political fight over motorcycle helmets. We didn't have that political fight over seatbelts for some well, reason. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like once a big, and the only thing in recent memory that I can see that was a major thing that the whole nation watched and it didn't become political, and then it did was Demar Hamlin. There was two days or three days 
mm-hmm. where the whole nation was like a human and was like, this is sad. My entire Facebook was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? This is sad. This is sad. People were actually saying it's okay to pray. They weren't saying, forget prayer. Figure out what laws are going to pass. It was nothing. Yeah. There was nobody fighting. And then it was like somebody said he got the vaccination. Oh, and no. then it became, yeah. look at this, another uh, and then it was like, oh, we totally forgot he was human. And then it was like a big cover-up, conspiracy. People thought it was conspiracy. So right now, as it stands, everything falls under politics. And I don't know whose idea this was, but I don't think it's better for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you brought up, you said school shootings in there, and I think the the gun the, the gun chatter in this country is completely does not serve us is terrible. Um, and that's a part of that school shootings. But we're seeing it with immigration now too. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah. you can't even discuss it. Y- you lose the human aspect of any of these conversations. Uh, Cause immigration is what's being, you know, what everyone's mad about right now. And what's lost is that there are people in the middle of this. Absolutely. That Kids you, that you just forget about. Yeah. Um, Who are being played? Who are being used as pawns? Yeah. So someone in my, uh, someone in my church shared, uh, they were down in Mexico this past week and shared a picture of uh, teenagers riding on the back of a truck, like 20 kids on the back of a truck mm-hmm. riding off to go to the sugarcane fields where, I, I mean, I don't know if y'all know anything about yes, sir. taking a machete yeah, and, yeah. and hacking sugarcane all day in like 90 degree tropical temperatures, but it's awful. And they get, and he said they, they're going to get $4 today. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then my next thought was like, oh, and, and y'all wonder why they're trying to get here. Yeah. But there's much more than that. Um, there's much. It's become so political that people are playing games now. And and now somebody's getting $4 a day for Sugar King, but somebody's getting $4 a day to go stand in line and come into this country. Yes. And that's not a conspiracy theory. It's a known fact. The FBI, you can look it up. The FBI has the all the documents are right there on the Internet. Mm-hmm. There are literally people being paid to come over. That it's the I'm quoting the FBI. I'm not saying conspiracy theory. It's the FBI saying that, and so it's like somebody is playing games politically. It's not just this. You can pull the sugarcane person out of the conversation, and it's true. My my boy is in Arizona. He has a ministry for people who lose limbs trying to jump on railroad tracks to come over here. They literally have a ministry where doctors will do the surgery for free for immigrants because they lose limbs coming over here. Man, But then there's another group of people who come over here in Jordans. And so we can't have the conversation because it's political. So you can't talk about what the facts are because it doesn't matter. I have my political ideology and I am not going to listen. Both sides. Yeah. And that's. And that's what that's exactly what I'm saying though is there's like real people in the middle of it. Ar- Absolutely, the, the, argu- Kids. the argument against the argument for uh, you know for one side of the immigration thing is always, well, there's bad people coming across. And yeah, like, absolutely. Well, there's always there's yeah, always absolutely. bad actors. We're, we're humans. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it doesn't get any and and the 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 conversations. It's going to be interesting because the conversations we now can know where you stand where. 20, 30 years ago, I didn't know what your political opinion was. Right, yeah. But now I can just get on your Facebook and I can know where you stand. And people are making their decisions based on that. Well, we're in election season. Yeah. Which means, um, you know, half the people in our town and every town have the political yard signs out. Which I would say, I've argued in the past, are exactly so you can tell people where you stand. They're not They're not to convince people who to vote for. Nobody saw. Nobody ever saw political signs go, you know what? I think I will vote for that guy. 
and, and what's interesting is that's a relatively new thing. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember my teacher saying her and her husband didn't even tell each other who they voted for. Yeah. That's a relatively new thing. I think it's like Eisenhower was one to come with the bumper sticker. Like it's like the fifties, forties, fifties, where you start seeing bumper stickers and people. I start, like Ike. Yeah. So it's like uh, that's and you look at when you start talking about in comparison to time. That's relatively one of the newest things. It's just going to be very interesting going forward. How do you go about solving real problems, and what do we do? Because everything now we're looking to our government to solve. If the government solves it for us, it has to be funneled through these two political parties. Mm -hmm. So Gina Carano is a part of this system. Then mm. she 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 spoke she speaks out on social media with what Cody said. It's purely a political statement. I think we can all agree. In that moment, that's a political. She's trying to say something political. Can I ask you guys a question though? That take this towards the church. Oh, sure. like how yeah. responsible should pastors be about these issues? And how big of a deal is it to you guys? I want to ask Cody this, that your pastor speaks to something that's happening in the culture and he does a sermon on it about the biblical ramifications of immigration or whatever. How is it important that when you go to church, if there's a big news item that your pastor says, because one of the things I've seen happening now on podcasts, people are mad that they went to church on Sunday and their pastor made no mention of it, and they feel like they were not heard or they were ignored. What do you guys think about that? Um, or how much responsibility do you think your pastor has for being aware of these national issues and speaking to it from a biblical standpoint? I do think that there is a portion that should be uh, at least aware of the political issues. I know some pastors that, like, it is strictly the Bible we're going to talk about. We're going to dive into what the historical context was, and we're just going to dwell in this. And, like, they don't bring in modern examples, which is weird to me, but I get it, I guess. Like, if you are good about uh, going into the um, exegetical work, I guess, um, but... At the same time, um, I also caution pastors. I, I feel that um, it's tricky waters to navigate because, like you have talked about uh, since we've been on uh, this podcast, that everything's been politicized. And I think sometimes our politics might come out in the message instead of, okay, what does the Bible have for us for this? Or what is the spirit leading in this? Mm. Um, I do think that the pastors that do it well, uh, bring out the, the human condition, mm. uh, bring out that the people that we argue with or the people that we think are less than, um, they also happen to be image bearers of mm. the divine and that um, there's a lot more to these issues than how we view them in our uh, very black and white political spectrums. Um, and so I, I'm not like it's not a make or break deal, but I can see for some people in the body it could be. Uh, 
if a pastor is bringing up these things or not. And I can see it going both ways that there's some people that are like, I don't want this being talked about in church. Church Mm. is my break from it. And I can see some people being like, this is affecting me. I'm part of the body. Why aren't we talking about this? I, I wouldn't mind it at church. Just when I'm watching sports, <laughs> like, <laughs> can we just watch the game? But yeah, that's good. Good answer. What do you think, Dave? Um, yeah, I'm one of the people that I I'm, I don't want to. I, I mind it. Yeah, I don't want you talking about it. I don't want an American flag up on the platform. I don't want any of that. I'm not. You know, I'm a youth pastor, and I'm not telling my kids to watch what you pledge yourself to. And then to have like, you know, a, a sermon on politics, you know, like where where we we put perform that we pledged ourselves to something other than the gospel. And, and, and that would and, be weird to Peter. Uh, pledging allegiance to anything but Christ would be weird to Peter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, you know, when I read the Bible, I see Jesus who like absolutely tries to avoid politics at all costs. Like that's all the disciples want on, on some level. And some of the people's, they want to know when, when you taking down Rome, yeah. Rome, Rome, yeah. Rome, Rome, Rome. And yeah. he avoids it at all costs, except for when he's directly asked the question about taxes. And the only references is, is he's making a, a, a he, he says something about your heart through that, where he says, well, whose money is that? I just talk, I just preached on it. You know, what's interesting that I'm just now getting, and sad to say, you guys may be ahead of me on this. It's like, it's amazing that even with the oppressor, you become like him. And um, one of the messages of Jesus I'm believing as I'm going back to the New Testament and reading it from a Jewish perspective was, even though you're the oppressed, don't become like this dude. And they did. And even though they were oppressed, Jesus was still pointing, for, the, for lack of a better term, the barrel at them saying, I know that the, the chips are stacked against you, but you should have never become like them. Mm-hmm. You should never become like them. And that is part of the messaging that I think you have to find in humility and the really broken people would find that message. Yeah. But some of the important people, even though they were oppressed, they were important still. It's like you can't have both Jesus was kind of saying, like, you're wearing these fancy robes, you're showing off your giving, you're making it all about you, and you're claiming to be oppressed. And Jesus is like, I don't believe you. They were oppressed politically, yes. systemically, yeah. economically, but still within the oppressed people were these people who were so prideful mm-hmm. and thought it was all about them. And I think we live in a day where if you're oppressed, you're never the problem. And Jesus turns the tables over on that thinking. If you really read the scriptures, these are oppressed people that Jesus is still challenging. And this is the danger. This is what poverty can do to you and oppression can do to you. It can victimize you to the point that the God of the universe no longer has any strength within you. There's no longer an expression of love to God and for God and to other people. You're so, you you have such a self-centeredness in your victimization mm. that you're unable to love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus is saying, that's not true. You actually can. Yeah. And I just think that's tough. That's a tough thing to me. When I feel the Holy Spirit lead me to express that, that's hard for me to preach because I feel so uncomfortable telling somebody who is being 
victimized. Yep. So if you're playing the pop culture pastor home game, we did go from Gina Carano to uh, Jesus turning over tables. Who's who's there today? Who's there? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she's she's going to be suing Disney and Lucasfilm for discrimination and wrongful termination. And uh, seeking a court order to force Lucasfilm to recast her, which seems wow. that like that would be awkward. That's yeah. not even the craziest part of the story. Uh, that Elon Musk is paying for her legal bill? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Elon Musk <laughs> is the one who's uh, paying. So is he going to buy Disney now? <laughs> that, you know, like there was some joking going on. I don't know. He probably could. I don't know to what end. Uh, anyways. Yeah. It. How Elon, much money? Gosh. Yeah, Elon's weird because uh, he sure doesn't want to stop the people who are just like, well, he's just another conservative honk now. Like, he sure doesn't act. He, he just does whatever he wants, I think. Yeah. And he doesn't like, I, it's clear that Elon does not like the liberal attempt to control the narrative, which, you know, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying both sides try to control narrative. Absolutely. And Elon definitely reacts to the liberal attempt to control narrative through, like, social media and stuff. That's, that's the whole reason he bought Twitter was to try and – because Twitter was the liberal social media spot. And now it's a little more balanced. And, uh, yeah, it, it, and he kind of did that. But, yeah, he's he's the one paying for it. I don't know. Seems silly, but – like, I'm like, well, this happened so long ago now. Just let it go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, you're suing now? Like, <laughs> why didn't you sue back then? Yeah, and I'm sure Gina Carano's fine. I mean, she's still working. She she did a bunch of stuff with the Daily Wire. I'm certain they paid her. You're not allowed to ask that question, Cody. I wasn't going to. She's the victim. You can't uh, <laughs> Why is she? Speaking of victims... Let's uh, let's transition into the main. Yeah, boy, you talk about. <laughs> let's transition to the main portion. We watched a documentary called American Nightmare, and I'm just going to not look. about Cody Rhodes. No, I'm going to tell you that right now. This is not a wrestling. This is not a wrestling uh, discussion. I would love for it to be though, because it's a very interesting discussion right now. What has happened? It's crazy. Yeah, Dave, you don't even know what you stepped into. No, I actually do because oh. someone brought up The Rock last night and said, "Why does everyone hate The Rock?" And I had to Google what was going on yeah. because I'm not. I yeah. don't follow wrestling, and yeah. so I read a little bit about it. Yeah, and people are people are pissed at The Rock. Yeah, well, you know, and he's on the board now and then the whole Vince McMahon thing it's just like yeah there's two huge is, stories yes and it's just and, and they're trying to keep the organization together they have to do something they can't they can't miss yeah at I, Wrestlemania so Cody sent me a great meme about how the rocks tearing down uh pop culture icons in <laughs> Warner Brothers DC <laughs> and now WWE yeah, yeah, the yeah. XFL yeah. I'm not so sure this is the rocks fault but yeah. you know um, but okay, so yeah, we're going to talk about this. It's a what's up doc. We're going to talk about this uh, documentary called American Nightmares, which is one of the most watched documentaries on Netflix right now. But first, I need to offer a trigger warning because at the center of this story is a sexual assault. And um, I just need to you to know that if if that's something that'll trigger you or that you're sensitive to, you probably uh, want to be careful with uh, listening to this pod. I don't know that we're not probably not going to dwell on that portion of the story a lot or the specifics. It's more we, we like to talk about the general things, the ideas that are happening. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Give you a little uh, trigger warning. Yes. Trauma. 
It's yes. a real thing. Yes, trauma is a real thing. We care about your mental health, so uh, we just didn't want to spring that on you. So let me uh, <laughs> let me broadly talk about this this documentary. If you haven't seen it, or if you have, just as a reminder, this centers around a story that happened in 2015. Am I, is that right? Yeah. 2015, somewhere thereabouts. And uh, uh, there's a home invasion where someone came into the the home of this man and his girlfriend and basically stole the girlfriend, kidnapped him in in what was kind of a wild event. Right. There's like laser lights and, uh, you know, blindfolds and, and sedation and all these things. They sedate the dude. They take the girl. The dude wakes up, you know, umpteen hours later calls the cops the cops do not believe the guy right they're they're immediately trying to figure pin this on him uh the girl shows up a few days later after you know he's gone through hell with the police department and uh then it becomes how maybe how she's made it all up that she's the gone girl you guys remember the movie gone girl yep yep yeah okay so we'll get to that too um, they that people just start saying, "Oh, she's the Gone Girl." And if you you might remember this case because it made a lot of headlines. It was the Gone Girl case. Yep. And um, then come to find out at the end of the story that she was really abducted. And uh, yeah, so we're gonna talk about this documentary. So do you guys do the same thing when like a big thing happens? You kind of go, "I can't wait to the Netflix documentary." Do you have that now? Yes. Like, oh yeah, I have That's that bad thing. now. That is totally a thing. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that was and I was there was something recently where I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be an amazing." You you either say if it's sports related, the thirty for thirty, or this is gonna make a great thirty for thirty or a great documentary. And uh, there was just something the other day, but I can't even remember what it was because it seems like there's something now every day. That's how I feel about Vince. But yeah, the Vince McMahon thing. Yeah, it's oh, going to yeah. be a great yeah. documentary. It's gonna That's be- going to be wild. Um, okay, so first off, um, let's just talk in a broad sense. Let me let me ask you the documentary itself. Do you feel like this is a good documentary? <laughs> is it a is it an okay documentary? I know documentaries. the The best documentaries do lean a certain way. They give you a more balanced take than often a book or a movie will, mm-hmm. but because it's documentaries by nature are observational, mm. um, but they still tend to lean with the biases of the documentary maker. Mm. How do you think they did as far as giving you a straight up picture of what what happened in all this? So I would say this documentary was okay. I'm not going to say it was great, but. For the intrigue factor, it might be just because the way they present it off the first episode, you're like, oh, I definitely have an opinion. And then you get to the second episode and you're like, I might be dead wrong. (laughs) And then the third episode, you're like, they had it coming. (laughs) Yeah, there's three episodes and there's definitely... they're, they do a good job of presenting the narrative of it, right? Yes. So the documentary maker puts puts the viewer in a position where you're going through all the all the uh, machinations of the people who like live through it the first time. Yeah. Of of in in that way, they do a good job of manipulating the viewer into the role of uh, the the police department for one. Because I don't I can't speak for everyone, but by the end of the first one. And in halfway through the second episode, I'm pretty sure it's the girl kidnapped herself. I'm with them. I'm like, 
I'm not pretty sure, but I have suspicions. Heavy, Definitely heavy suspicions. The, where, where I was like, oh, no, is when she walked home, how she came home. Yes, exactly. When she came home, you're like, wait. Yeah. Um, so I had concerns, like, just based off of the boyfriend's interview with the cops. Yes. Like, yeah. he was so just blank. Like, you've either gone through something super traumatic, still under the influence of drugs, or you are the worst liar in the history of the world, and it was probable that he could just be the worst liar in the history of the world. And and I I feel like we've got to get away from that. Um, I know that detectives and these leaders, and the one lady, she trusted her gut as part of it. But I think when you're trying to try people, like... Knowing how a person responds to something that is traumatic and then going, I know he's lying because if he was telling the truth, he would say, I think when trauma happens, all bets are off. Well, the prefrontal cortex shuts down. Yeah, so I think... And the narrative portion shuts down. I was trying to suspend judgment and I was trying to look for evidence. Like, I want to know what the evidence is. Mm -hmm. And when when I watch a crime doc... I'm trying to pretend and I'm trying to find evidence. And um, yeah, I think when somebody goes to a traumatic event going, oh, he shouldn't be crying that hard or he's not crying enough or he said something weird. You know, I just don't think that's evidence. Well, I mean, yes, I agree with that. But also there is a point like for me when I when I thought to myself oh how could they have been so the police officers how could they have been so obtuse to something that i saw was when they gave you the sped up time where he's in that little interrogation room so they at one point the documentary lets you watch i'm I'm assuming hours of that really sped up and the amount of time he spends in the fetal position sobbing yeah. while he's by himself in the room, yeah. I, that was where I was like, okay, how can you ignore that? That does, yeah. That is not the behavior of anybody who's trying to fool you mm-hmm. when an adult man is like, and you could see his body heaving, that he was like sobbing and weeping. And it's like, like listen, you have two choices at that point. One, this dude's really wrecked. Or two, he's one of the most incredible con men ever which the odds of that are so low i have to think they're lower than you're you're not wrong about whatever you're trying to criminals are getting more creative and they look at what the cops look at just to to make themselves look innocent yeah and so that's why i kind of steer away from caring about any of that just because I don't know what's true with that. I can't definitively say... If you're the cop. Yes, yes. Yeah. If I'm the cop, I don't know. I'm and just saying as a human, like... Yeah, yeah. I thought the same thing. Oh, this dude's terribly so broken. So as a human who's not a cop, my expectation of an investigator, someone who calls himself an investigator, is to look at all the possibilities. I do not understand that there's a possibility that someone's telling the truth, and from the beginning, you're just like, nope. Nope. Yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. understand that. So when I no went, doubt, when, like, dude, Magnum PI. Uh, let's uh, let's try to examine all the possibilities. Yeah, yeah. So when I went back to college, uh, got my master's. One of the classes that I took, we had to do uh, forensic invis- investigating or forensic interviewing. Forensic interviewing is what 
uh, Child Protective Services does. Yeah. It's what they do in trauma cases. And, like, you have to be careful how you word questions. You do this specifically just to see what information comes out. You don't make any judgments. That's not for you to even do. It's just get the information. You pass it off to, uh, like, the police office, the detectives, and then they poke and prod and do whatever they need to to get, like, oh, this family really neglected their child or this person's making up this allegation or they're being serious that they've gone through it. And um, I think that's something that's changed a little bit in our more recent context, even from uh, 2015, that a lot more police departments are having like those mental health people be kind of in place and also to try to have more sound interviewing techniques, but it doesn't happen across the board. There's definitely this type of bravado within a lot of police departments and within um, a lot of people that have done this job for how many ever years. It's the way we've done it, and it gets results. And so we go with what we know and what we think is best. So this story starts with Aaron Quinn, who is the man, and his girlfriend, Denise Huskins. And it starts with a home invasion, alleged home invasion at first. You don't, you're not really, the documentary does a good job of like keeping you in this place of like, absolutely, you don't know for you sure. You don't know for sure what's going on. Uh, but Aaron Quinn shows up to this police department uh, the next morning after he's been drugged, saying, Hey, these people invaded my home. They gave me a mixture, a cocktail of NyQuil and the sedatives, and uh, they took my girlfriend. Mm. And the the police department uh, in Vallejo, California, goes kind of all out is what we've been talking about in this interrogation. You know, the viewers kind of aware from the tone of it that they they're they're on him from the beginning. Yeah, and 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 the the detective's defense, there is this weird relational piece, mm-hmm. and ninety percent of the time when there's a weird yeah. relational piece, it is the guy that they're with. So there is this weird thing where he lives with his ex girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. So, well, he works with her. It works, works with, her. with her. So, yeah, there's this whole backstory that they give you in the beginning because they want you to doubt. They want you to doubt his story, I think, at first. Well, I think they want you to take the detective's perspective. Okay, that's interesting because I didn't feel that. In fact, when I finished watching the documentary, my only problem with the documentary was I wish they would have given us a little more with good policemen at that department. Because they make it seem like that that department is completely defunct, like just devoid of real, um, real rules and things they should be doing on every case, um, and and to some extent, I don't think they did enough because we live in a time where the police in this country are easy targets. Yeah, but wasn't there something though, like one of the because the FBI acted weird too, so yes. it was like the strangest thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get to that okay. later because that's huge, and and the documentary does not dwell on it. It just floats it, this out there later. Yeah, it and, touches and, and goes. <laughs> and we'll talk about it later because that was bonkers to yes. me that that's not investigated yes, at all. Yes, yes. But I want to say just right off the top, what was disappointing to me was the police are an easy target in this country. It's it, we we overgeneralize and make it too broad when we talk about the police because like the idea is like there's bad actors in every group. 
Um, but there are good police too. And my problem, my, one of my own few problems with the documentary is it's never fully discussed what you just said. The fact that, yeah, 99, 999 times out of a thousand, yeah, it is the boyfriend, the boyfriend. And in this case, you could, I don't know how you would not, I mean, he, he if it was me, yeah, I would be like, oh, I'm going down. I'm not, yeah. I'm not I, 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 would, I would know that my girlfriend was gone, and that would j- drive me nuts. Yeah, but at the same time, I'd be like, I'm going down. <laughs> Do you hear me? Especially <laughs> the waiting hours after you woke up to yeah. make that phone call. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I get, I get the, I, I get the investigators' bias. At the same time, I think we can we can say, yeah, I get it, but you have a job to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And clearly, they didn't do the job. But I wish they would have made it made them a little bit more um, sympathetic, I guess. And that was really weird of the documentary because, typically speaking, anytime there's a woman that's violated and the significant other, that that's part of the point of our culture is like. Uh, domestic abuce, right? It's kind mm-hmm. of part of, and and to not think that a person would think that that's happened is kind of silly. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Because yeah. that's a big part of our cultural narrative right now is about domestic abuse. And so to think that you and me going, this guy, and let's say he really did do this, and the cops are like, well, we wanted to consider all our narratives. How could you not know that he was the main suspect, right? That's what they, yeah. the people would be. Right, saying so. Yeah, I get and, what you're saying. So let's go down that rabbit hole for a second, because the Vallejo Police Department, the investigator, they're clearly on the boyfriend. His name is Aaron, uh, Aaron Quinn. From the beginning, he has like when I say this dude is squeaky clean, dude has nothing in his past. Like yeah. they, they've even got his sweet parents. He's literally he was literally the quarterback and captain of the football yeah, team in high school. Yeah. He's never been in trouble. Yeah. He's like a physical therapist. Um when the first bombs drop, the, the first item of information that gets dropped that makes me go, "Oh," is yes, that he works with his ex-fiance. Yes. This is also where his girlfriend, current girlfriend yes. works. And they all work in the same department. Yes. Like that's a toxic environment. Oh my gosh. I'm like uh, at at that point I'm like, "Oh bro, you should have found a different job." Like you you can't continue to work there, but we're led on that and he admits he's had a hard time. He, and he says he loves her. That, he, yes, he, he, he he still loves his ex-girlfriend. Yeah, so she Okay, so the backstory there is she cheated on him. Yeah, broke him. But he was clearly like in that place where someone who's been cheated on can still be even after the relationship's over is like there he it seems like he's kind of hopelessly in love with her. Even while having this new girlfriend that he says I care about and I love. But he's like so the setup, the thing we learn in that first episode of this documentary is that he is currently when when this happens, he's currently in therapy. He's making progress according to both him and his new girlfriend. Uh, but there's this this thing that almost broke their relationship <laughs> right then. So again, you're like, oh, so y'all were having trouble. Yeah, and the detectives, yeah, there's they they had even got into it the day before or some re- well, re- fairly recently. I think that day. And there, yeah, there was text messages. Yeah. And so this is looking bad. Yeah. So the documentary, this is what I meant with, like, I wish you would have presented a little bit more sympathy to the police department because the documentary 
the documentarians themselves try to put you in that position of yeah. passing judgment. Yeah, yeah. Where, yes, it looks bad, yeah, dude. You, yeah, you, got, you got to rule him out. You know what I mean? And I yeah. mean, we got to rule him out. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not looking good. Yeah, like, it's not so, looking good. Uh, on a very basic level, the premise yeah. here is, Dude shows up at a police station. His girlfriend's been gone for double-digit hours, and he comes with this fantastical story about like what sounds like special ops snorkel mask. Yeah, guys in wetsuits when he swimming goggles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and laser pointers and 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 being drugged and then waking up and calling the police. It's just a problem if it's true. <laughs> like, yes, I mean. The likelihood of that being true. Oh, man. There's no way that's true. No. Right. And that's what you're thinking. In the, in the first part of the documentary, you're like, oh, bro. Bro, this is a bad story. Like, this couldn't possibly have happened. That's that. What's that movie where the guy keeps, oh, oh Harrison Ford keeps blaming on the one-armed man? The Fugitive is like, yeah, we hear you. The one-armed man did it. Okay. So, um, yeah. you said you left the grocery store at 245. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, I want... I want everyone to see that this documentary, this is the first kind of big point, and I want to come back to this later because I don't want to get into a full-on discussion on this, but that in the first episode, you're with the police. Absolutely. You understand why they're reasoning the, the way they are, and you have serious doubts about the dude. Yeah, you're not going, how dare they? They bring in the <laughs> ex fiance. She does not make you feel any better. No, she doesn't. And like and you think like, she might be in on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was sitting there going, like, does she pay somebody to do yeah. this? That's about the time when you find out they all still work together yeah. and you're pulling your hair yeah. out. You're yeah. like, how? Yeah. Yeah. How do you all work together? Yeah. This is not healthy. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the first episode, the big bombshell is is she shows up, right? The girlfriend. Yeah. Is alive. Goes walking down the street. She just walks right up to her family's home in Huntington Beach, which is 400 miles away in California from the place she was taken from. And she shows up to her, her family's house. And that's how the first little episode ends of three. So let's move on. Let's let's move into the next little phase of the story. The documentary then shifts in the second episode to the girl, the girlfriend who was taken and we should talk first about this, the movie and the book Gone Girl. So Gone Girl is a book, a national, is a bestseller written by uh, some lady who, from Lawrence, right? Lawrence, Kansas. Really? Yeah. This oh, is come news on. to me. Listen, Gone Girl, if, you don't, if you're not aware of the story, is about a, 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 a husband who's unfaithful. Uh-huh. The wife finds out. Yeah. Uh, kidnaps herself, basically. Or yeah. Pretends yeah. to be kidnapped. Or want pretends to be murdered, yeah, so she can get back at her husband. It's yeah. like a per, it's like a feminist snuff film, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> okay, so you're shocked that it was written by someone in Lawrence is kind of hilarious, but <laughs> I, I, I I just can anything good come out of Kansas? I didn't know. I just yeah, didn't no. know. It's a like look, it's an interesting story, um, but I, I feel like it's it's one of those things where. I don't know. I don't want to Dave, get into you all that. You think way harder than me on that so stuff. So I know. I know. It's my. What's one of my worst traits? <laughs> I occasionally reference this film, like just oh, she gone girl. She gone girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, it takes over kind of the national consciousness for a short time because yes. it was a it was a huge book. 
It was a huge movie. At, at, I don't know anybody would say, oh, it's a masterful piece of art. My it was just friend something, it was Marty one of the, might. Yeah, it was one of those things that captured the zeitgeist for a little while. So right at this time that this happens. And what happens is, is this girl shows up weirdly out of the blue. The kidnapper let her go. Just let her go. And everybody, the news, <laughs> the police, everyone shifts into, oh, she's gone, girl. Yeah. She, and, she, she, this is all her. She did this. And then when you start looking at how she kind of treated the media, you know how the media is when you don't give them first dibs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't talking. And so it immediately became this division, mm-hmm. like her versus whatever. You know, the talking heads. Because it was weird. She'd just go straight to her house, back to the car. There was no press conference, really. And when there was one. And then and 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 then when the cops came out, you remember that? Mm-hmm. And they told him what to say. He was like, that's when it got weird. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand that press conference. That's when I went, okay, now that's not normal. Yeah, so the police, what you're referencing is, is at some point the Vallejo Police Department, with no really confirmation and evidence yet. No, no. So they're still trying to figure out what happened. They go all in on the girl. They're watching too much TV. Yeah. They're letting the TV swim. There is some discussion at the very end of the documentary of whether the chief of police said to the guy who's the, yeah. the kind of the public guy, public relations guy for the police department, uh, go uh, burn this woman. Yeah. Like, not literally, but you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, in yeah. the media. Take her down. Take her down. That's unsubstantiated. There's just some claim to it in the documentary. Now, what I want to say here is now that we've circled around this, I want to come back to this point of um, our judgment. Mm. Because now we've seen the police do it. We've seen the journalists do it. And the people, now the people who are taking in the media yes, right, yeah. are all making the judgments. I'm looking at you, Nancy Grace. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nancy they, Grace is all, all over this documentary. Yes, oh, yeah. She is. And I'm like. She's the gone girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I cringed every time they showed media clips because I'm like, oh, man, this is bad. This yeah. Is, this, oh, yeah. This is bad. But yeah. what does it say about us that we are just. Uh, I don't know what to tell people, especially if they've watched this documentary now, that this is our culture now. We live in a culture of judgment where we just want to judge. We want to use our higher powers of cognition in our own minds to say, this person's guilty. This person's a victim. This person, it's not even victim culture. It's our judgment of who's a victim and who's not. Yeah. And part of my, issue i guess with especially how we now cover cases in general whether big or small this is on the macro level clearly but um even on the micro level like you have community law enforcement pages that share uh pictures of people that have been arrested and what they've allegedly done and so now facebook's now judging on the local level and I don't know how you get a fair trial anymore because there's already preconceived notions that yeah, go true. beyond like just that you got charged with this because there's already going to be some. But now you got like this is in your face nonstop. Yeah, you got to go to Saturn to find a jury. 
Yeah. That doesn't have already yeah. a judgment towards well, the case. And that's where we go with the second episode is that the police department isn't the like the focal point of where it starts and where it ends is that the police department is somehow evil because they've lapsed into this judgment. But what you find out in the second episode is like, no, we all did. And you, the viewer did. And I think it was kind of masterful the way the documentarian set up the episodes, because by the, by the end of the second episode, you are so all in on the girl. It's hard not to be. So I never went, I never got there. Well, you're a better band than I. But I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't come to that point yet. I was yeah. really trying to well, figure out. Yeah, I'm not saying we, I'm a hundred percent. I was a hundred percent sure. When are we going to investigate the claims? I just, I don't mm-hmm. understand why there was. I just didn't feel like there was like a real investigation yet. Okay, let me tell you this, and now, and feel free to apply this to everything, every hot button thing we talk about, because in a, in the world of self righteousness. Evidence doesn't matter anymore. It just uh, doesn't matter. Yeah, I got you. And then we see this in everything that we argue about, everything that's a topic of discussion in this country, in our culture. Do you, do you feel is like that evidence doesn't matter? Data so, doesn't matter. You said it. Data doesn't matter. So so should should there be something where people from other communities investigate for you? Because the lady it takes a lady from another community to get this ball mm-hmm, rolling. Mm-hmm. And she didn't really have Maybe we're just not healthy enough if there's a, for the lack of a better term, a dog in the fight. She's literally like on her first days in the job. Yeah, that's that's why she's the perfect She was person. like the cartoon rabbit in that that movie. Uh, what was the movie with the, the animal cops? Uh, Zootopia? Zootopia. She's literally the rabbit in Zootopia. Okay? He said that Zootopia? Because she's got like the, she's, she basically is able to solve the case because she's got the wide-eyed... She's not. She's not struck down by the cynicism of her work. Yeah, like the other cops are. The other cops quickly are weighed down by cynicism, the cynicism of statistics, mm-hmm. right? So she's like, "Wait a minute, why are she's saying the exact same things you are?" She's going. We see her in the third episode going through the process of like, "Why is nobody looking at these things? These are yeah. these are pretty obvious yeah. pieces of evidence." And I think you can get your like. I I think if you're going to be mad at these police officers. You have to kind of see yourself in those police officers. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what I'm getting at. And go like my my I can get what is that the trees for the forest? I don't know what the saying is, but you can't oh, you see can't the, see the forest for the yeah, trees. I think sometimes don't look at gift worse in the mouth. Who? Yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> what? No, no. no I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I just like throwing out other sayings. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, that's a good point, and I think she's kind of the the beauty of this thing. There's a there's nothing to your point, and I think. If I was a police officer, I can't say I would think this way. But I think, like you said, the guy was laying in the field. Like, noticing some humanity. She noticed. I'm trying to sound cheesy because I understand that we're trying to catch criminals. But she did notice the humanity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. She, she knew that she was, This were there were real humans involved. And it's so hard. when Every time you talk about something, it desensitizes you to saying, and TikTok will desensitize you that the people that you're watching are real humans. Mm-hmm. Like OJ is a real human. But there was a time when we were talking about him where, you know, he was a Renthal James. Yeah. The, <laughs> you know, it wasn't. Um, so, so I think, yeah, I think, man, I don't know what your field is like. I know you deal with this stuff way more than probably me and Dave do. 
It's like, man, a third party coming in sometimes and putting their eyes on it is a beautiful thing. So that happens um, a lot with, honestly, when I was just a case manager, like when um, a client might be in meltdown mode, you have someone that's outside come in, they can de-escalate it so much quicker. Oh, gotcha. Because you have gone on this roller coaster journey with them. You have now had your emotions, your uh, adrenaline elevated. You're not thinking as rationally as you should, um, where you might be able to intervene with some coping skills or removing the client from the environment. You can't do that rationally. And so having someone else come in and do that uh, really helps. Um, and I also see it within like therapy that like some people think, well, I've seen this diagnosis before. Um, I know this is going to work and they just go and try to force it. And sometimes it is, uh, the, the square peg in the round hole doesn't work. And so um, being open and actually trying to take in everything is is vital. I felt this police department, they must have just been Netflix junkies. Because, <laughs> like, I, I feel they only investigated it through the lens of, this is going to have a huge Netflix twist. Let's just get ahead of it. And let's go with a Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike movie. As the huge twist. Because, like, I don't know how you get there so so quickly. The other two pieces are the FBI and then this criminal. Yeah. Let me me say this right before we get to that. Because I feel like that'll take us in a different direction. Within the first 10 minutes of the documentary, when he's being questioned, the questioning officer, who's Detective Mustard, which is just a hilarious (laughs) name that I thought was made up at first. I was like, come on, that's not his real name. Uh, But it was. He 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 does something, and this is why I asked you earlier. I wish Kiefer, your friend Kiefer, was here, who's the debate coach. Yes. Because I re- asked a real question before we started recording, which is, is, de- is teaching high school kids debate wrong? Is it bad? Because the whole point of debate is not whether you're right or wrong, but to convince someone you're right. Yeah. Within the first few minutes of this documentary and the investigation, the officer is like trying to frustrate Aaron Quinn. He's like literally trying to frustrate him and says, ask this question. Did you truly love Denise? Now, do you, I I immediately perked up when I saw this. I was like, you see what he's doing? There's a trick here. He's talking about it, her in the past tense. He, he gets flustered, but even in his flustered state says, no, no, I, I do love Denise. He's still talking about her in the present, but he was trying to trick him. It was all a trick. And and it's so like that was my first. So even not even in a traumatic situation, I wouldn't have caught that. You know what I'm saying? I just I would have let him be past tense. Yeah, right. I would. Most pa- people would have like I was impressed that the Aaron yeah. Quinn was able to. He, like you see him stumble a little bit, like he's taken aback, like someone punched him in the stomach, and then he's like, "No, no I do love Denise," and I, I thought that was really like wow. And then at that point, I might have been like. You have 48 hours to find her or the case goes cold. First 48. 
reference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, yes, let's go. Let's get into the third episode. We've already discussed the the wide-eyed new investigator who does all the basic things that the investigators should have done. Yes. Because uh, cause the trail, it's not like... It's not like she was Inspector Clouseau, like doing. Um, she, she's not Sherlock Holmes. All respect to her, she did her job, which is great. So that's again, we're back to the police again. Like, yeah, a, a, a good cop came on. Yeah. The scene. So there's that. That this starts to turn in the third episode, but then there's the whole FBI part. This is the part that I, I just can't believe. This is wild because by this point, you're finding in the documentary that oh no, this is all real. This really did happen. This this young officer is following the claims and finding that this all ties together. She's finding other cases. And now you're like, oh, okay. So this is actually something that was taking place, but was getting ignored. Yeah. And then this bombshell gets dropped. That the leading inspector for the FBI is apparently an ex of the fiance of yes. the ex-fiance. Yes. Who, by the way, was supposed to, the kidnapper tells the kidnappees was the original target. So mm. I, I waited intentionally to talk about this because yeah. that's delivered early on. Early on, yeah. So is that the girlfriend, the current girlfriend, the kidnapper tells her, I'm sorry about all this. You weren't the target. It was the ex-fiance. So I that's where I went. I thought this FBI agent is dirty. Well, okay, but then it's never so the FBI quickly dressed. quickly says nope. And and then it's never talked about again. Yeah, when I was they, like, oh, this dude's dirty. When they brought it up, I'm like, oh, this is like Sons of Anarchy stuff. Yeah. That first season where Tara, <laughs> uh, her ex-boyfriend comes on the scene. Uh, oh, from, the FBI guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so Tar- my wrong, tartar, my little tartar. <laughs> wrong pop culture reference. Yes, switch yes. from Gone Girl. We're now SOA. Yeah, yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts that you have an FBI agent. And now um, there was, okay, so one of the unexplained things up to this point had been, why is the Vallejo P- Police Department so insistent on sticking like when you have the new cop coming into the situation giving you some data yeah why are they sticking to their guns so much like why isn't why aren't why are they so unwilling to be like okay you might have something here <laughs> like well they've already committed so many wrongdoings <laughs> Maybe, maybe it's because they're like, well, we're too far in it. You know, like when you've dug your own yeah, grave. Yeah, you're doubling <laughs> you know, you're you're like, down. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm just you're gonna keep digging. Down. We're going to empty the clip. We're going to empty the clip. <laughs> That's not. I would, I would present that what that Vallejo Police Department does is not doubling down. That's like quadrupling down. That's just like, <laughs> no, we're in this. We're in this till, until uh, the end, till the dirty, gritty end. Um, but the FBI part of it is so. At one point. The uh, the FBI sends in in the first episode the lie detector test guy, and uh, he comes in and uh, puts Aaron Quinn through a lie detector test. Which you know, like, just listen. I'm not a I'm not a professional criminal by any stretch, uh, but if if you're out there and you are someone who might end up in an interrogation room someday, don't submit to a lie detector test without an attorney. <laughs> just don't do it. Like that's not. Lie detector tests are not conclusive in court. They're they're nothing. And yet this guy is, uh, submits to it because he's distraught. 
Yeah. And he his girlfriend's actually been taken, so he wants to help. He submits to a lie detector test. The FBI guy comes back in and says, let me tell you what happened. You failed this test miserably. Yeah. Tell us where the body is, right? Like, they're full in on it. Come to find out, the test was inconclusive. It was inconclusive. He didn't fail it. Which, by the way, most lie detector tests are yeah. inconclusive. Yeah. So... Let's 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 hit on this. Um, Ninety nine times out of a hundred, the law enforcement people in this episode would have been right, or in this documentary, they would have been right. They would have been yeah, proven it was, it right. Was, it was yeah. the dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is this right or wrong? It, the way they do this, is this right or wrong? Because if we go with the statistics and you say that, like, hey, most kidnappings. In, in that happened in this country. We're, I think we, because of sensationalism, because of news, we're afraid of like the guys in the van who just steal children off of corners. That's not usually what happens. It's almost always someone that knows you. Almost always. Uh, as far as trafficking goes. And because this all or, falls or under. Or abuse. This all, yeah, this all falls under that kind of umbrella. I just feel like this, the the story should have been. You have to investigate. They gave you a story. He didn't just say it wasn't like this was a situation where he comes home and she's gone. This is an elaborate story. This isn't yes. just a I haven't seen my girlfriend in three days story. This is for a person to do what he claims has happened would take some serious planning and work. If he went through all of this to make the, he would have to mess up somewhere. He wouldn't bought the goggles somewhere. He would. So I want to try to say, okay, let's go talk to some houses. Let's see. What, and then there are people who saying they saw a vehicle there, and there are people early corroborating parts of his story that they didn't go investigate. Mm-hmm. It was just easier to me. It was they. They would not do the hard thing, which is what if he's right. When I, if you're going to say 99% of the time that it's the dude, 99% of the time it's not planned out well. It's like, oh, she went fishing and didn't come back. Yeah, it's a crime yeah. of passion. That's right. right. This time it's a situation where this is an elaborate story. Yeah. There's a camera that he says is in the house. Was there a camera there? Who bought the camera? Where did the camera come from? We have all this technology. They can start finding out, like, they can find the tires on treads now down to 20 cars in the area. Like, they're pretty, they can find out stuff now. So was there a camera in the house? You know, those types of things. Who bought the camera? If he bought it, it would show up in his record. We would know if he bought well, it. Well, here's a serious question. Could this even happen now with people with doorbell cameras? So they live in a pretty tight-packed neighborhood. Yeah, like what you see in there. Could this even happen now? Because now you'd have, ring. you'd have like th- four doorbell cameras that would have showed you. No, someone definitely pulled up to this house at three in the morning. Yeah. So uh-huh. I just I feel like he said some things that if it was not true, you would have probably caught him pretty quick. Right. S- he, he just said some things that were so ridiculous. We'd have to investigate it. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, during the the episode that we get the girlfriend story. I'm like, were you raised by Liam Neeson? (laughs) 
<laughs> she's like, I could tell he was turning left. He was turning right. I was keeping track of that. Um, it sounded like a Ford Mustang. Yeah. And I'm like. And she was spot yeah, on. She was right. She was She was spot on. And, right. and, and Who just, are you? And, a Ford and, mu- and Mustangs do have a particular sound. They do. But I wouldn't have been able to know that. I just very impressed with. I. We also live in a time where we have so much stuff coming at us. We don't listen well. Mm-hmm. Like I think for me to listen, it I have to train my ear to listen. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And so they just weren't listened to. No, no, not at all. Um, it, by the way, you brought up Liam Neeson. I d- directly thought of him when they're interviewing the uh, her dad, and and he's in this very real emotional moment of like, you know, like what do you do when you hear that your daughter's been kidnapped? They don't have a manual for that, and I am. For better or for worse, I immediately thought, oh, yes, they do. It was a Liam Neeson movie called Taken. You get out there and you find her, dude. <laughs> but no, that was a joke. But um, let's. let's and, and, and what's interesting is that the, the, the kidnapper actually tells her that I was actually wanting somebody else. And because she, she previously lived there. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. She used to live in that house. And. Um, so there's a blending time where they're all three actually there. There's a blending time where they're go- she's coming back and forth. She's getting her stuff out of there, and that's why the guy thought she'd be there. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, there's a there's a blending period. It wasn't a clean separation where one moves out and the other girl moves in. He's actually watching the ex girlfriend. Yeah, and so the possibility of her being there because there are times where that girl is leaving and the ex-girlfriend's coming over and they're sleeping together. So there's this blending together where this guy thought he was going to get her. And what was interesting was to me is he's talking to her about the ex-girlfriend. So when I was looking at some other stuff where it interviews with this girl and the kidnappers talking to her about the ex-girlfriend and she talks about, she would sometimes lose focus because she was taught as a young lady that you want to get as much evidence as possible against the person who's done this to you. So she was totally like you heard her on the documentary, even Mm -hmm. saying I was laying there. I was trying to see what, if I could find any tattoos or if I could, you know, so she was like doing the right thing. You know what I mean? And he kept bringing up the ex-girlfriend and she was talking about the, the mental um, exhaustion she had from, trying to collect all this evidence and trying yeah. to stay on point. And then he brought the ex-girlfriend. She's like, I really don't want to hear about <laughs> things. So it's like this dude has creativity. The, the creativity of the, the modern-day criminal now. The modern-day criminal no longer is doing crime the same way. And I think it's kind of like kids who cheat in school. I was talking to some college kids uh, on the way back from the basketball game yesterday up in Kansas City. And they were telling me how they use AI to cheat. And they use Snap AI to cheat on their papers. And so these kids are getting more and more creative with the technology. Kids have been cheating since the school system was put in place. And now the technology is brought to a place that we're going to have to be creative with how we make sure that they learn, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be the same thing with policing people. Um, The danger of what's happening is that the modern way of thinking about things, technology has put it on steroids, and we're still thinking about it like we thought about it in 1988. It is no longer 1988. And all of us are going to have to rethink how we approach our daily lives based on the fact that criminals are getting creative. This was creative. Yeah. He drugged them, which 
So that means when they go to tell their story, they look like liars. Yeah. Their eyes are pinned. They're, the very thing that detectives have been trained to do is to look at your eyes and see if they're pinned. What are you on? Oh, so the, 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 the criminals gave you the drugs, huh? Okay, so you've, you've never done drugs before? I mean, that's the next question. That's literally the next question. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, I drink. Okay, so how often do you drink? It's no longer even about what I just told you. That is evidence. Yeah. So the criminal was so creative with how he went about doing this crime. He made it look like it would be him. He totally set this dude up. Yeah. And we, we haven't really talked about the, the actual criminal at the center of this. But um, there's a connection here where I also openly wondered about the FBI's involvement and why they were so... Yeah, well, that's me too. That's why I they was going. Were, why they were so heavy to try and blame the girl was because um, the dude who committed these crimes clearly talked in a way that he had been hired, like that he was a service, right? Like he was a professional kidnapper. Yeah. Now, we learn through the course of the documentary that maybe there's more going on, more to that story, that he's not being complete. He's an unreliable narrator. Yeah. But I'll say this. Dude is an ex-Marine, and he's Harvard Law. Listen, Special Forces, Harvard, this is the resume of who our clandestine services try to recruit. So the fact that the FBI is so weirdly one-sided in this and then doesn't offer any information, doesn't defend themselves at all, just says, nope, case is over, and doesn't want to discuss the connections between the head investigator of the FBI and the the ex the ex fiance. All of that is fishy to me, and none of that's still undiscovered information. And and turns out the guy had done a bunch of stuff. Yeah, oh yeah. He, he, yeah. This is he was he had some serious problem. Yeah. Oh, he's like. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he was an F. I don't think he was working on behalf of any clandestine services. But it wouldn't surprise me if he was recruited at some point. And that their connection to all that, to this guy, made them, it was a PR thing. That half the reason the FBI does what they do in this documentary, in this case, I wonder if it's just PR driven. And and one more thing, Dave, to your point, maybe this is a part of it. We don't live in a, we now live in a time where, like, you're a bad leader if you apologize. Everybody wants an unapologetic leader. Okay. And so, like, you're a bad leader if you apologize. And two, it's bad if you get it wrong. And the same people that go, nobody's perfect, are the same people that get mad when you come out and go, we got it wrong. And so I think one reason why people quadruple down is we don't live in a day and age where you're allowed, whether you're a GM for the Chiefs or whoever, you're not allowed to get it wrong. You're not allowed to say, hey, I missed that draft pick. We're going to go back here. Mm -hmm. It's immediately you're fired. And so... Um, I feel like that also plays a part in this narrative. Like nobody, nobody wanted to admit, Ooh, yeah. I definitely think the proper way to view this whole story is not to find a bad guy yeah, is, I to, do too. is to understand that like, no, there's something about our culture that led to all this and, and, that, we end and up, we're all complicit. I think we all end up there in almost every documentary. That's where we landed ourselves yep. so far. We, we, the, the reality is there was a real criminal. He's the one that needs to be charged. It was his fault. It was this criminal's fault. Okay, but let's. So the last thing I want to talk about is the part that we're complicit in. Um, the innocent people in this are the the two, the couple that that you initially start off with. It's it's the the girl that got kidnapped, the her boyfriend. It's it's Aaron and and Denise Huskins who've kind of been put through the ringer thanks to the police, the FBI, the media, and then finally the judgment of us, the people. Um, 
the biggest thing that kind of knocks me off my feet here was they're married. They have two kids. They -hmm. live a normal life now, as normal as it can possibly be. Because my first thought was like, oh, they have children. Can you imagine the fear of security they probably have? That and something else that they both talked about at the very end was like the first year we couldn't go to work. Right, yeah. Like, how do you move on when... When you're the gone girl. Yes. Because that's the big thing is now that even this documentary is out there where they are exonerated and you see that like, yes, all the, everything they said was true. There was no deception. There are ma- the majority of people in our culture will still remember her as the gone girl and that she's a liar. So when they showed the clip of Nancy Grace saying gone girl, mm. that was like it triggered it for me. I'm like, I remember this right, case. Right. And I'm, I did the same thing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. So it leads me to this, this last thing, this last topic, this last question of, um, that there's something really wrong with our culture in that, um, we see it when anyone is accused of something that there's no way to walk it back. Like, our culture is so judgmental that it doesn't matter if you get a third page retraction in the, the Wall Street Journal. You know, like the retraction never matters if you get one. Rolling Stone uh, magazine did several things during COVID that were just straight up fabrications. And I don't even know if they offered a fabrication, but it doesn't matter if they did anyways. Well, that's interesting you say that because one day I was like, I, I wonder whatever happened with Kevin Spacey. And oh, then yeah. I saw that he was acquitted. And it was like last summer. Yeah. I don't remember hearing anything about that. And I just, I'm not to say that he's innocent, but he was acquitted. And there was, no, I didn't feel like I heard anything about it. And so yeah. to your point, that is true. It's like, we're not interested in that at all. We live in a culture of accusation, but nothing else. There's yeah, no, we, that's, we're, that's not, true. we're not going to reconcile. We don't want to reconcile reconciliation is not a part of it. We don't want to know the end of the story. We want to stand. We want to stick with our judgments. And these, these poor people, I mean, like, listen, you, you find out they sued the Vallejo police department, which right. Of course they did because they had like, literally they said they couldn't work because their media sensations. Yeah. That's all that I'm getting the bag. They only I'm got in the bag. They <laughs> only got $2.5 million, yeah, which you. in today's world, isn't like super duper amounts of money. Like they're gonna have to do something with it. You're gonna have yeah. to invest that and you oh, know, yeah. well, let you, it work it, for yeah. you. You're not gonna buy a house in California, that's for sure. Right. You're so, still in low low income housing. Two point five million. You're still in low income. <laughs> <laughs> we got a two bedroom. It's twelve hundred square feet. Um, uh, but yeah, like, what is wrong with us? Well, I also am intrigued by this story just because it taps into our. We want something fantastical. I'm telling you, the criminal is who we should be doing. That's that's who we should be doing the documentary on. Yeah, he's got to be the strangest yeah. guy. I want to know what's in his. So, but that's a good point. He's not the interesting character in this, but he should be. He should be. But it is in crazy. our accusation culture. The documentarian documentarian literally leads us it, through the processes that we're using already. The documentary is interesting because we go through those processes. By the end of the documentary, we can come around to the realization that, like, oh, I just took part in this because I was totally but, judging him. I was totally judging her. And by the end of it, I find out that it was all unfounded and they were telling the truth. But in, 
What is the science or the the psychology about how much we love an evil woman? And yes. there was a possibility that there was an evil woman in this. And even women like to talk about evil women. Yeah. Does that yes. make, do you see, there's mm-hmm. something about the Stephanie McMahon, you know, when she was, there's something about, intriguing about, when the woman is the mastermind yeah. and we fail for it. I'm glad you said that because I'm going to let our preconceived notions and our tropes. Let mm. me take this all the way back to the beginning. Cause I didn't bring up Gina Carano just for giggles. Okay. Let's I take, was wondering why you chose that. New let's story take this out of all, all the, the way stories. back to Gina Carano. Isn't what she's guilty of, of just is just saying something dumb on the internet. Is that, isn't that what she's really guilty of just saying something dumb on the internet. Yeah. And if it's just that innocuous, why are we so adamant that she lose her job? Why is this turning into a court case now? Does she have ground to stand on to say like, what if she walks into that courtroom and says, I just said something dumb on the internet, period. And if you're going to fire me for that, then you're going to have to fire everybody because we all out there saying dumb things on the internet. Yeah. And and is does it matter that she's a woman? Is that part of it? And we were so quick in this in this situation, in this documentary, to judge the woman. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Because of pop culture, uh, just, uh, uh, you know that's, yeah. that's, that's that's good storytelling. But, the evil woman, <laughs> yeah. so getting back at her man. There's another story that comes out this week, um, and it's because of the passing of someone. So Toby Keith, country music singer, oh, I thought passed you were going to say Carl Weathers. No, that one we we don't we, we can't we don't talk, talk about we don't that. Talk ill of Carl Weathers. <laughs> we're not ready. I wasn't talking ill of him. I'm just saying <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he just passed away. Yeah, we can't yeah. talk about that one yet. We're, we're too emotional. Yes. Yes. Too soon. Um, Rest too in peace. But so okay. like some people on Twitter point out, "Oh, Toby Keith gave Taylor Swift her big break." Oh, really? But same token Toby Keith might have taken the axe and cut the Dixie Chicks, now the Chicks, career down by a significant amount of time, causing them to be blackballed for years. Okay, but... And so we, um, like, would this have happened if it was, like, Luke Bryan said... We're ashamed that George W. Bush is from Texas. Because <laughs> your boy has said some, Tim yeah. McGraw has said some controversial things. Uh, oh, he yeah. keeps it moving. So there's two pieces to that, right? There, one that definitely fits with the female. Like the rules are different if you're female, right? Because you're right. If Luke Bryan says what the Dixie Chick says, is he probably still working and at the same level? Probably. Nobody cares. But if it's the Dixie Chicks, it's shut up. You don't, you, you can't talk. Like that. So, yes, I will agree with that. But then there's also the factor of Jesus, something Jesus said. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Mm-hmm. And that brings me back to the whole thing with Gina Carano. Why, why? Why even talk on these things? Like, why is it important that we, th- that in our righteousness, we make sure everyone knows how right we are? Is that is that really what we want to go down for? Is that what we're standing for? I was our going our to say, righteousness? Like, Look at Colin Kaepernick. There was a cost for his action, whether it... His cost is not being able to play football for yes. money. Not money. I mean, <laughs> Nike, Nike gave him a nice contract. He, he, he made <laughs> more money after the fact. Yeah, than he's he not suffering. He's, not he's suffering. fine with the financial means. But, like, he clearly has stated he wants to play football. That's yeah. his passion. And I do feel for him in that regard. 
And so, yeah. like, but, I'm sorry, I don't. But that, I, yeah, and that's but again, okay. But again, that's okay. You know, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm right. I'm yeah, just yeah, saying my yeah. feelings. That, I, I do feel for like them. you. We have so much evidence now of like you take a political route, you take a stance. There's going to be a cost to it. Yes. Or a consequence, and it might be uh, more extreme than what anyone would have fathomed, but there's going to be a cost. Boom and are you yeah. ready for Ali. it? Boom yeah. by Last observation Ali. on that note, the cost. Say that that wide-eyed new detective from the other police department follows the evidence trail, and it works out the other way. It works out the way it does 99% of the time, and it doesn't match this dude and it is a fabrication is she still a cop what do you mean like is she still a cop like if it works oh, out the other way so she, so she might she's now a hero right so she's a hero she's known because she was this young detective who did what she was supposed to do but if it but we already said how 99 percent of the time the other cops would have been proven right so if it works out that way, is she still working as a cop I think that she has more political clout within her Brotherhood, yeah, of I think, local I think, law enforcement. Yeah, yeah I think the uh -huh. law enforcement. It, it works out good on the micro. It doesn't work out so much on the macro. Because what what has happened is it's worked out good for her on the macro. Because yes. in this case, ninety nine percent of the time it's the dude, right? And yeah. the cops do their job on that. And then, but the culture is just like, oh, it's the dude. Like right now, the narrative is the culture celebrates when the cops get it wrong. Yes, because it right. proves. That there's a problem to them, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that's what I believe. So that's what they. That's how the culture gets it. So she's she's buried, yeah, in the culture because it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't help the culture. Yeah, the cops weren't winning in this story no matter what well, because no. if they get it right, then everyone piles on the dude because he's a white male. Like yeah, look, white males are messed up, man. He look what he did to his girlfriend, yeah. right? You know, yeah. or it's the white female. Oh, spoiled, entitled. Look what she did. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We just switch our scorn. To the to the proper place. Hey, I would tell you right now, if it was a brother, we'd never even hear about this case. You hear me? He, <laughs> That's he, true. He, he true. Be, yeah. <laughs> if it was a black dude, he'd be in jail right now. Yeah. As we speak. If this story is is uh, with, is with African American people yeah. at the center of it, yeah. Uh, someone someone says, "Hey, did you hear what happened?" They're like, "Hey, what do you want to have for dinner tonight?" Yeah. Well, and we just move on. Yeah. So one time, me and my wife are at the Grand Canyon, and there's some. Pretty plate there. You go on that south rim. Yeah. There's some places where you can fall in. And she started stumbling. I said, Hey, if you fall in, I'm jumping in after you. Cause I'm not gonna try. To, <laughs> I am not gonna try to come back and tell these people you fell in. No, I'm jumping in after you. And both of us died in a He's terrible like, tragedy. He went Garth from Wayne's World. Yeah. I'm not dumbing down for you yeah. or anybody. I'm, I'm jumping. If you fall in, I'm jumping in after you. They're never because nobody's me. gonna believe me that you fell in. And we've watched you fall everywhere. But all of a sudden, she's gonna be like the best athlete of all time. Oh man! Can you oh. believe? I just don't see my mom falling. I just can't believe. It. I think he did something. To yep, I'm jumping in, brother. Hey, I already know. Pray, pray for our, pray for DJ and our <laughs> African American brothers and sisters. Uh, we hear you. We hear you, DJ. Do you hear me, dog? Do you and hear the me? anxieties yeah. that are part of that your is day today. I don't mind going down for something that I did. I get it. You 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 mess up. My biggest fear 
is I'm gonna be sitting there going, I promise, Cody, I did. <laughs> and that's honestly that's that, my biggest fear. Honestly, that's what I was left with by the end of this documentary. These poor two people at the center of this of just like, oh my gosh. And really the dude, what he goes through in that, like, what is it, 18 hours in that interrogation oh, man. room? Yeah, yeah. Oh man. That was yeah. the, the lasting image for me was the sped up footage so, of him like being and, and, in the and, fetal and again, position and sobbing. And I think Bill, I'm gonna quote Bill Maher before you cut off. And Bill Maher talks about He's one of the first major white celebrities that's ever said this. And he was referencing when Whoopi Goldberg made a quote about Jewish people. Mm, yeah. He, yeah was, he said, listen, you got to understand African-Americans have a dramatic different experience than us. Mm. And we have to accept that. And so I was just remember going, it's just we can all watch the same documentary and draw different conclusions. And I just went, for an African-American... Anytime you sit across from a cop, you feel guilty. No matter what he was experienced is how every African American feels yes. yeah. in almost every single experience. We all have these stories where we weren't felt like we were never given a chance for truth. Yeah. And so for me, I was just kind of going, eh, yeah, welcome. Yeah, just so- another Tuesday to me. It was yeah. just another Tuesday. And I, I'm empathetic. I get it. But I, my conclusion was, as a brother, every if you feel that, and I, don't, and I have a lot of friends who are My best friend is a cop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand they have a job to do. I'm not bashing on the police officer. But there's something about the American experience that you know you're guilty and you better be able to prove your innocence. Yeah. And that's how African, whether it be real or not, that's how we feel. Yeah, I wouldn't have known that unless I had African-American friends. And I felt that the way the atmosphere of a car changed when a cop pulled up next to oh, the stoplight. Oh, bruh. Man, I love it. The atmosphere oh, changed. Man. Oh, man. And, and, I love and, and it. as a white person, I was like, what's going on? Why did everyone get quiet? My friends are always like, DJ, don't why do you, Why are your hands at 10 and 2? So we got, it, was, it was me, JJ, and Nick Marco. We got pulled over in Oklahoma City, and I'll tell you later about the story. But when we got pulled over, Nick was like, DJ, don't be, don't be Malcolm X. Don't be Malcolm X. <laughs> DJ, DJ, don't be Malcolm X. So, yeah, I get it. It's right. fun times. Well, uh, tell us what you thought. You, you should go watch American Nightmare because you'll get put through the ringer with the people in the documentary. Hopefully you already watched it because we just spoiled the nerd. Boy, I mean, it spoiled me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, go watch it. Tell us what you think of the documentary, of the themes we've talked about herein. And uh, yeah, subscribe to the podcast, rate it, give us five stars, share it, do all the things on social media. That helps us out a lot. Uh, and remember, um, there's a lot of things in this world that are trying to divide us things that we don't have in common. We believe here on Pop Culture Pastor uh, that we should focus on the things we have in common because we're better together. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. We'll see you soon.